Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Does anybody not have um, their study questions? we got chapter 1 and chapter 2. Anybody? Okay. Brother Cade, would you help me out here? Anybody that doesn't have uh, study questions, chapter 1, chapter 2. Brother Cade, you just go around. Raise your hand so Brother Cade can see right here, uh, Sister Lair. And Sister Angela, just raise your hands up when the tall guy comes by there and get his attention. All right. Just as way of review, as we get going this morning, we, um, you know, the first week we kind of laid the the groundwork, had the introduction to the person of Nehemiah and the place where he was there in Shushan and Persia because of uh, the the Jews being um, being in captivity from their land. And, uh, and then we, we see in, in verse 3 uh, that we are introduced to the problem. The problem that comes across Nehemiah's desk there. And, um, and then his response, which we saw last week, was his prayer. And uh, obviously, whenever a, uh, we run into a problem, that ought to be our first response, I would think, is that we ought to go to, to God in prayer and um, to the one that actually has the power to, uh, to fix our problem. And that's what Nehemiah did, and we saw some things about his prayer, the, the acts, the A-C-T-S, the, the uh, ad, adoration that he had for God, and the confession he had of his sin, and confessing who God was. And then the thanksgiving for what God had done, and how he had brought them out of captivity before Brother Mike, a thousand years before that, when he brought them out of Egypt. And then we saw his supplication and his uh, desire, uh, praying for himself and for the, the servants of God, the other servants. Uh, and then he says at the end of verse 11 in chapter 1, he says, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And so, last week we concluded with just the beginning of, of chapter 2, and how Nehemiah was put in a very... A specific position for a reason, for a purpose. God has a purpose for the places where He puts us. Amen? You, know, you understand that, right? And so, Nehemiah realizes that, hey, I'm here not by chance or happenstance, but I'm here by the purpose and the providence of God. And so, therefore, now he says, Lord, I need you to do something for me. Give me favor in sight of this man, the king, the man with the power, the man with the provisions and, and to, to do what is necessary here to help him to do what God has put in his heart. And we see that Nehemiah's um, attitude here toward his king is tremendous. And it reminds us of other guys that have gone before him like Daniel, right? Think about Daniel's attitude. D- Daniel worked in a lot of different administrations, right? Administrations change in America all the time, right? I mean, uh, you get four years, maybe a new one, maybe eight, then you get a new one. But, uh, you know, in those days, it went a little bit longer, Brother John. You know, you had to wait till the king died off or somebody killed him. And, uh, but, but Daniel served four kings. And man, that's some faithfulness. And he served with distinguished service uh, and uh, certainly uh, very honorable. And so... Uh, We thank God for that example, but we see that because of Nehemiah's service here, because of his um, 
attitude toward the king that uh, he has a great position, he has some authority here, or so at least some advice with the king. He's a counselor of the king. He's the king's cupbearer. He's trusted by the king. And so the king cares about him. And then what does the king do? He notices something about Nehemiah that he hadn't noticed before. What was it? He's sad. He's got a downcast spirit. And he knows he's not sick. So why in the world is he like this? It's not his disposition. I mean, a, Christ, a Christian's disposition is love, joy, peace, right? And, uh, and so something's different here. And so let's start with verse 1 and we'll read this uh, in chapter 2. And today we'll get into the, the preparation, I believe, that Nehemiah goes through, the plan that Nehemiah presents, and then we'll see the providence of God and how God works during this time. So verse 1 says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid. Why do you think he was afraid? Yeah, you're supposed to be. I mean, this is a man of tremendous authority. And by the way, sadness before the king could be a death penalty. You know, and why is that? I mean, the king, he's got these guys here serving him. And the king, you know, to get to that position, you know... He's not only a powerful man, he's been raised a certain way. He's come down through a line uh, of kings, and, uh, and certainly he has ability. And, uh, and, and so, he wants his people to be happy. And his representative before him is supposed to represent the way all the people are. The king wants to know, because of his brilliant ruling, that everybody's happy. We've given that part up today. I mean, people don't, our leaders don't even care anymore if we're happy, do they? Uh, not a bit, unfortunately. But, uh, but so that was the, the norm. You had to be happy before the king because then the king felt like, oh, everybody's happy in the kingdom. I'm doing such a great job. And, uh, but so Nehemiah is afraid because of, yeah, one, it, it could be dangerous. Number two, he's before a, a very powerful being. And number three, He's afraid because of the magnitude of the situation here and what he's about to do and what's on him and what's in his heart. And this has been building up for a little while. How long has it been since he heard about the problem until now the king asking, why art thou sad? How long has it been? It's about four months. Somewhere in that range, three to five months. It's been about four months. What's he been doing that four months? Well, we'll see. He hasn't been, he hasn't been passive. Don't mistake patience for passiveness, right? That's where we don't want to fall into, Brother Jared. We don't want to fall into that, that passiveness. But we sure don't want to get out ahead of God. And we know we need God, Brother Dean, so we can't get ahead of Him we got to wait on him sometimes. And so, why Nehemiah's been waiting, I'm going to show you what I think he's been doing. All right? And so now, but the moment's come here now, and the king's asking this question. He says he's afraid. Then look at verse 3. 
and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lie waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Boy, he lays it on the king. He says, this is why, this is why I'm, I'm sad. Why shouldn't I be sad? Look at what's going on. And you know, we talked a little bit about this, but I just want to go back and make sure we understand the reason Nehemiah was sad. Because sometimes, you know, we've got this sadness, okay, because the focus is on us, and maybe we think we didn't get a fair deal, or we think we got something else. Sometimes the answer to sadness is repentance and confession and just getting right with God. And then other times, we're concerned about others. And we're concerned about the work of God and the things that God cares about. And then when that kind of sadness comes on us, the cure to that is action. The cure to that is action. So how do we, how, God, what are you doing? And Nehemiah's like, and, and when and how can I get involved in it? Now he sees his opportunity here. He sees that the providence of God has opened the door. And so he lays it out. He lays it on the king. And I'll say this, you know, many times when God reveals things to us, that is also God's invitation to get involved in what He's doing and what He wants to do. Y'all follow what I'm saying? In other words, that when, when Nehemiah got that message back in chapter 1, verse 3, about what was going on in Jerusalem, he, I mean, he could have been sad about it for a while, he could have prayed about it for a while, and then it just passed. Isn't that what happens to us a lot of times? You know, instead, he said, whoa, i got to do something about this. God's brought this across my path. He's made me aware of this. He's put me in this position. He's given me this burden in my heart. I think he wants to use me to do something about this. Would you all agree with that? that? You know what? Sometimes when God reveals something to us, he's inviting us to participate with him in what he wants to do. And so, Nehemiah now has got his opportunity. In verse, he tells the king, then look at verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Isn't it interesting that the king, all he does is tell him what the problem is. But the king knows already that, okay, you're telling me this. Now, what do you want? What do you want? I wonder what his emotions were like. You know, he had to be kind of passionate in that explanation, don't you think, to the king? I think there was some passion in that, and the king sensed that, and he said, okay, this means something to you. This is important to you. What do you want me? What do you want from me? And I like it that he says there at the end, he says, so I prayed unto the God of heaven. Is that the first time he's prayed? I don't think so, right? It's kind of like, Brother Kevin, it was, a, it was a quickie prayer, right? And every once in a while, you can cash in on a quickie when you put a lot of long prayer in, in advance, right? And he does. He just kind of cashes in on a quickie. He's like, Lord, this is it now. This is my opportunity. Lord, now, give me favor again with this man. And so he, he makes his request. He says in verse 5, End of verse 4, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my fathers, 
sepulcher that I may build it. Now, he didn't ask the king to build it. Y'all see that? He didn't say, king, would you send some guys over there and fix this problem? He said, no, send me. He says, would you send me that I might go and build it? Amen? I think you get a lot further with that attitude, don't you think? Come on in, young man, grab a seat anywhere. You get a better, you get a better response with that kind of attitude instead of, would you do it for me, type attitude. And so Nehemiah, he's not asking him to do it for him. And I, and I, and I want to I wanna stress something here. To hold your place here in Nehemiah, and I want you to go over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He's already really, back in uh, verse 3, he said, let the king live forever. You know, that was a sign of honor, okay? And, and he's, he, you know he respects this king. And here again, he says, if I have found favor in thy sight. Well, do you think uh, this is a, just these last four months, he's been working on finding favor in the sight of this man? Or do you think maybe he's had this all along, right? As he served with the attitude and the way he served, you know, wonder about how often, and if you guys are employers in here, I'd like to know if you feel the same way I do, that when an employee comes to you that doesn't always ask for something, but always works hard, how eager are you to want to do something for them when they come and ask you, right? And if you are an employee that just shows up and does your job, does more than what you're expected, and, and does more than what you're paid for, when you do go to your boss, how often do you find favor? See, there's a reason why some people get favors and others don't. And this is the and, and so Nehemiah has he's laid the groundwork here for God to be able to use him in this situation. And the Bible tells us. Right here, we're in First Peter chapter 2. Let's look at verse 18. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters. I think Nehemiah understood that. He says, With all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also the froward. Sometimes you get a froward boss. How are you supposed to act toward him? The same. The same. And then verse 19, it says... For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if ye be, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye, have, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Amen? So go back to Nehemiah. This is why Nehemiah is asking, now if I've pleased you, if I've found favor in your sight... He says, send me and let me go and build this, this wall to build this city back up. And, um, and so let's look at his response. Verse 6. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall the, thy journey be and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. What do y'all think about that parentheses there uh, and the queen there with him? What do y'all think about that? Men, what do y'all think about that? Any comments? Afraid to say? She had some influence on him. You're exactly right. I don't know what some of y'all's thoughts are about this, but you know that Esther would have most probably been this man's stepmother. Same 
you know, she would have been married to his daddy. So I think that whether this queen be Esther or whether it be his wife, I will say for most certainly that Esther had influence in this situation. Would you all agree with that? For sure. Because, you know, her being a Jew, number one, okay, what's already happened over in the book of Esther as far as how uh, God, uh, this man's father, had responded to her and how he had preserved the Jews and God preserved them, but he used him. You know, he, remember Haman's wicked devices and plans, uh, which God brought to naught. And um, so it's interesting to me. There's no doubt that she had some impact on this king's decision. Yes or yes? Because it didn't just, the Holy Spirit didn't just put that in there for no reason. When the first time I read that and it actually hit me, I was like, okay, Lord, I know you got this in here for a reason. Now, what's the reason? And if you ask the Bible questions, sometimes you'll get answers. Amen? And sometimes the answers are, you're not ready yet, or maybe you don't need to know. But sometimes, oh, you always get an answer, right? So anyway, I, I think this could, it's certainly the, this, this queen here had influence on the king and on his decision. And man, how about the wisdom uh, of, um, of, the, of, of not only Nehemiah, but how about the wisdom of God to have these circumstances and the providence of God that everything comes together when things are most favorable for him to get, most favorable for him to get what he asked for. But not just what he asked for. Did you know the king actually gave more than what he asked for? Let's read on. Look what we see right here in verse 7. And by the way, the king asked him two questions. You see that? He says, how long are you going to be gone and when are you going to return? He's like, that's really the same question, question differently. But most importantly is that, okay, how long are you going to be gone and you are going to return? Okay, and that, he wanted to make sure of that. And he's like, yes, he cares. so he set him a time. And then verse 7, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please thee. Now, he's asking him to send him, and he said yes. Now, Nehemiah is going to press on here. He says, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asphalt, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which obtaineth to the house, and for the wall of the city, for the house that, that I shall enter into, and the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So I asked him for three things. He said, number one, let me go. Number two, give me authority. And then number three, give me provisions. Obviously, I would think in those days, um, you know, before these shears and things that we cut trees down with today, uh, timber and lumber would have probably been a precious Precious commodity, yes or yes? And so he says, okay, I'm going to need some provisions here. And he says, but more than that, he's going to need authority. And you're going to see how important this authority is going to be when we get a little further into this chapter. But he says, if you give me authority, if I'm going for the king, if I'm going underneath his blessings, it's going to go a long way to me getting there and accomplishing my goal. And then there's a few other things I'm going to need. Now, on top of that, not only does the king give him these things, okay, but look what it says, verse 9. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter, the letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. He didn't ask for that. 
But he gave him an escort as well. He gave him a military escort to protect the things that he was carrying and protect him. He wants to make sure he's coming back. And he wants to make sure that he gets his, his goal accomplished here. So, praise the Lord. Isn't it just like God to give us more than, than what, we've, what we've asked? Um, and more than even expected. Now, let me ask you now, as we, as we looked at what Nehemiah asked for, how he went about this. Do you think that when the king asked him that he came up with all this just right there on the spot? No. Do you think that Nehemiah has been spending a little time praying, preparing, and planning? He's been preparing his response, what he's going to say. He's He's been thinking about any objections that he might face. He's been asking for, Lord, what do I need? He's ready to ask the king for what he needs. What I'm telling you is I'm going to go back to that, that, that thought that patience is not passiveness. The whole time while he's waiting on God's opportunity and God's timing, he's working. Planning is working. You understand? Now my question is, how, how much time are we spending planning in our lives? I mean, what about like, I mean, you need to plan for your work. I think that's important. You know, if you're a homeschooling mom and you want to do it well, you don't just show up and, uh, you know, bust open the lesson plan. And when the kids are all set down at the class and expect to be able to have a quick and good organized uh, lesson, right? I mean, when I was a basketball coach, I didn't show up at practice and, uh, and then take out the ball and say, okay, what are we going to do today? You know, you have, a, you have a, a plan for practice just like you do for the game. You said, these are the things we need to work on today. This is how we're going to do it. This is what it's going to look like. And, you, of course, it's more efficient. It's more effective. And it takes, and it's not always the most fun part of it, but it is some of the most important part of it, right? And so there are even more important things in our work that we need to be, we need to be spend time planning for, like the discipling of our kids, you know, uh, our, our, our families, sanctifying our families and building them up. I think if you're going to have a great family, don't you think it's going to take some planning? You need to plan for it. I think it was, uh, it was Bobby Knight that said this. If y'all know anything about college basketball, he was a college basketball coach, and he said that the will to win is useless without the will to prepare to win. <laughs> that's a good point. Don't matter how bad you say you want to win when you show up on game day, if you hadn't prepared. So we, can, we need to spend some time certainly planning and preparing and things that matter the most in, in our lives. And let's look at verse, verse 10. And so when this happens, okay, so we've seen the providence of God here. We see the provisions that God has provided for him. And, and guess what? Whenever God is doing something... What else can you expect with certainty that you will come against? Some opposition, some pushback, right? And so when the plan of God's moving forward, Brother Brent, the devil senses that. He knows that. What's he going to do? He's going to try to resist. He's going to push back. This happened in the book of Ezra. It's described there as well. They didn't fare as well there where Zerubbabel was set back for 12 years, I think it was, when nothing happened. But Nehemiah's got it. He's, he's learned from that time, see, and he knows pushback's coming. 
He's already prepared for it. And here we go. We get two of the three stooges here that show up in verse, verse 10. And it's, look at what it says. When Sanballat the Hornite, that means he was a, a Moabite. And so it says that um, he, um, uh, and, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it. They were super thrilled and excited. Is that what your King James Bible says? They were so happy that the, that the work of God was going to get done. So happy that somebody cared about the people of God. Mm, not what my Bible says. It says they were grieved. If you go around trying to please everybody, good luck. <laughs> not everybody's going to be happy when you decide you want to do something for God. Do something with God. Not everybody's going to be happy. And so they grieved them exceedingly that there was come an army. There was come a man. A man. Did you know that's what God uses? Individuals? Now those individuals might be in a local church, but He works through individuals. They were grieved because they saw that there was a man that came. One man made them sad, Brother Kevin. One man. One man with a purpose. One man with a vision. One man with a commitment. They sensed something here was happening and they didn't like it. God works through individuals. And it says there was, a, there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. That's what he came for. They sensed that. They didn't like that. Grieved them. Verse 11. You see Nehemiah again now, his wisdom and what he's learned here. He says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night. I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. So what's he doing here? He's doing, what do we call this in military terms? He's doing some recon. You see? He's come out here to assess the situation. And he didn't bring his army in with him. He didn't bring his his provisions in with him. He came in with a few men, low-keyed, and he just wanted to see what's the situation here. What are we up against? What opportunities, as Robert E. Lee would say every morning to his generals, what opportunities lie before us today, gentlemen? What opportunities do we have here? What do we have? What are we up against? And so, he goes at night, so nobody knows what he's up to yet. He hasn't told anybody what God's put in his heart yet. He's not giving this up until it's time, until he knows he has a plan how he's going to do it. And he's surveying also, he's not just surveying the problem. But he's also, I think, he's surveying the people. What kind of people do we have here, Lord, that we can work with? And which ones are we going to have to overcome? And he he goes out and he surveys the the land. It says in verse 13, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. It's a bad scene. 
Verse 14, Then I went on to the gate of the fountain in the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. It was so bad he couldn't even get his donkey through there or whatever he's riding on. And then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered in by the gate of the valley and so returned. It's hard for me to imagine what his emotions were here. You know, I know what his emotions were when he initially heard about it. I think there's so much more now resolve and determination that he's that those are overriding a lot of his emotions. He may have been extremely emotional and wept out there. We don't know. But I certainly know that at this point, he's more determined to fix this problem than ever he ever has been before. And that's his dominant emotion right here. This is what he feels is that, okay... Let's get this done. And so, verse 16, And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I yet, as yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor the rest that did the work. He's waiting on God's timing. This man has learned to be patient. Amen? Do y'all, do y'all agree with that? You see that Nehemiah, is, he's worried about when God's involved in this and when the right timing is. And so then verse 17. Then said I, then, now is the timing of God is right. He's ready. He's ready to move forward with this. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that you are in. No. The pronouns he uses, Brother Stewart, are important. He says, we are in. You see, he used that, word, that pronoun again later, we He's identifying with them, Brother Scott. We're in a mess here. We're, we're brothers and sisters. We're family. This is, this is God's city. He's put His name on this thing, and we're in a mess. You'll see that later in the verse. It says, verse 17, it says that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. A reproach unto who? Well, it's God's city. He said, I'm going to put my name there. We saw that over there in chapter chapter 1 in his prayer. This is God's city. It's a reproach unto God when God's city is in such a mess. And it's a reproach on us. Others mock us and mock, mock God, our God, because of what a situation we're in. So, but he's not, he's not looking for them to do the work. He says, us. But then verse 18, he's going to encourage them. And look what he says. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Well... And nothing like somebody telling you what God's already done to get you encouraged and what God's going to do next. Amen? Isn't it important for us to look back sometimes about how God's taken care of us and what He's done in the past for us, how He's provided for us at every turn and every time we thought we were in a mess, we wouldn't get out of it and God brought us through? Because we're going to face something again. And we're going to need to remember. I think a day, whenever I think of these type of memorials, I think about David walking around with Goliath's head in his hand. He said, I, I don't want to forget what God did. I don't want you to forget what God did for us. I'm going to carry this head around until it stinks so bad I can't stand it. 
So I want you all to remember what God did. So he tells the people, and I'll tell you what, it stirs the people's hearts because they said, let us rise up and build. Now, how many years have they been there already? Eighty, some of them, years or more. And they ain't been rising up, Brother Roger, till now in building. Isn't it, different? Isn't it amazing what a man of God, on a, on, with God working with him and through him, all of a sudden can get some people to say, okay, let's do this. Before, there were a lot of other people that came through there and went. It was the will of God that it be done. But some man first had to submit himself to God and allow God to use him. Or was it, it wasn't D.L. Moody, I don't think, that said this. But he said, uh, and maybe it was, but he said the world is yet to see what God, what would God would do through a man that was completely surrendered to him. I know D.L. Moody said this. He said, I want to be that man. You see? And so God's doing something. He's doing it through a man. He's doing it through a man that's completely surrendered to him. It's letting him dictate it. And it says at the end of that verse, it's a very interesting statement. It says, they strengthened their hands for this good work. What did they do? Did they get out some weights and start, you know, strengthening their hands physically? What does that mean when they say strengthened their hands? Later on, it says they had a mind to work. See? And you know where they got that mind to work? Through faith. They believed that God would do what, what Nehemiah is telling them that God's going to do. And because of that, they said, okay, God be with us, let's work. You know, man, that's where the strength came from. The strength came from believing that God would do what he said he would do, that it was God's will, that God was showing, he was confirming this. And you know, circumstances don't dictate the will of God for us, right? Okay? I mean, there's lots of examples in the Bible of people looking at circumstances and going against the will of God. But circumstances certainly can confirm the will of God many times in our lives. God will use that to confirm things in our lives that we're already praying about, that we're already feeling God's leading in a certain way. And so this, this is the deal. They saw what God had already done. And now, boy, after verse 18, you're not surprised when you see the word but in verse 19. Now... All three of the three stooges are, are present. Now, look at this, what it says. But Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant, the, uh, uh, the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye will do? Will ye rebel against the king? Well, there's your enemy. And the enemy does what the enemy always does. Right? The enemy uh, laughs. They mock, they despise, they scorn, and then they accuse. See, they accuse the, we all rebelling against the king. Now, remember what Nehemiah asked for? What did he ask the king for? He wanted letters. Because what does that confirm? This, I'm under the king's orders. I'm under the king's favor. And that's important because you're going to see in chapter 4, verse 2, that these guys are actually captains over the, the uh, Sumerian army. 
So they have an army. They have a physical force. They could have resisted him physically. They could have fought him physically, except for the fact that he had those letters. Because now if they fight him, they're going to show that they're fighting the king. Right? I don't think they want to take that battle on. Right? So they're like, okay, we can't, we can't get in a physical fight with them because he's got these letters of authority. But we can accuse him and we can threaten him. So you're rebelling against the king. And they laugh and they scorn and they do what they do. And then verse 20. And the Bible says, Then answered I them. What an answer he gives them. And said unto them, The God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will rise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. So first of all, let's focus on that first thing. Let's focus on that prosper. Do you think it's God's will? I, you guys know, anybody knows me well enough knows I'm not a name it, claim it guy. I don't believe that God owes me anything. Okay, but as a general rule, don't you think that God's uh, will for His people is that they prosper? Unless there's an absolutely better, bigger plan that God is working, don't you think that God wants His people to prosper? Can anybody give me a verse about prospering in the Bible? Well, the first one I thought about was Psalm 1-3. Right? Is that what you were thinking about, brother? It says, whatsoever he do shall prosper. Now, verse 1 and 2 give you the context of that. There's some people you don't hang out with. There's some things you do, which is meditate in thy law day and night. And then when you meet those conditions, what did God say? Everything that thou doest shall prosper. Prosper. Then I thought about Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. You know, here's Joshua taking over from Moses. Man, he's, he's a man, this is way above my pay grade. I'm not ready for this. You know what I'm saying? I'm a good servant. I like to serve Moses. He says, no, you the man now. And he says, don't worry about it. He says, you keep my commandments and you will prosper. Joshua 1.8, look it up. I was looking, I was reading this week in uh, Psalm 92 at the end of that psalm. And this doesn't use the word prosper, it uses the word flourish three times. And it says that the righteous will flourish. It says those that are attentive to the house of God will flourish, okay? It says that they'll be fat in their old age and flourishing. I mean, God, it's His plan that we should do what He says because He wants to prosper us. And that prospering will be an increase in our faith, strengthening our inner man, uh, making us an example for His glory. If you read that Psalm 92, the last verse in there tells you for the reason He's going to flourish you is that everyone will know that God's not unrighteous, that He does. He's the one that did it. Okay? So God will get the glory for it. But God's plan is that we prosper. And then last thing we're going to say here, we've got just a couple of minutes, is that... He says there's some things that God's going to do for us. And look at the pronouns again. He says us, he'll prosper us. And he says we, his servants, will arise and build. And then he uses it, but ye. So there's we and ye, and they're different. He says ye have no portion, no right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. He says, look, you guys are outsiders. You guys are always perverting uh, the Jehovah and the, and the true uh, way of worship. 
He says, you've got no place here. You've got no uh, memorial here. It's like you've never shown a favor to us. You've always been shown malice toward us. And now you want to get involved in what we're doing. Do you really think his motives were sincere? In any way, is anybody deceived in any way that his motives were sincere here? No, Nehemiah wasn't deceived. Because that's the way that the enemy works. He works through deceit and he works through subtlety. See, oh, let me help. Because he wants to get on the inside so he can have even more influence and cause more damage and more delays and more confusion, more discouragement. But Nehemiah said, no, sir, not here, not now. See, and you know, we face some enemies, and we'll talk about this next week. But you know, the Bible gives us some very specific information over there in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. And it says specifically that we are to give no place to the devil. We're not to give a place for him in our lives. Amen. We'll pick up there next week, all right? Let's close with prayers. Anybody have a comment or question? Yes, ma'am. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. They always want to bring things to the physical when our blessings and our better prospering is in the spiritual. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the precious word of God. And thank you, I pray, that you have chosen us, worked in our lives, Lord, led us to this point. Now, Lord, I pray we'd surrender to you. You could do everything that you plan to do through us and with us for your honor and glory. Use the preaching hour, we pray. Strengthen us in our inner man by your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.